Good morning. How many of you have ever looked at a person in your life and said, I really want to be like them when I grow up? Or maybe you've looked at them and you said, I really hope my children are something like them when they get older. There's a model that you see that you want to emulate your life around or those that you have influence over. And you say, I just want them to become something similar to that person. I have that in my life with Bishop Thad Barnum, as some of you know, him and Bishop Ken Ross are my two bishops, our pastors of our diocese. And when I look at Thad, I think, how does Thad know so clearly what to say in pastoral meetings? The only way is that he actually knows how to listen to the Holy Spirit really, really well. He's saturated in God's word and he has wisdom to share that I just don't feel like I have in the same way he does. He's, he's a spiritual ultra marathon runner and I feel like I can barely finish the 100 yard dash. Have any of you met someone like this? And so you start saying, how did Thad become Thad? Who impacted him? Well, I know he was first discipled under Terry Fulham. So I listened to all of Terry Fulham's sermons. That took a while. I started asking him lots of questions about his childhood and his upbringing, you know, the pain that he faced losing his mother at a young age and how that formed him. I've asked him countless questions, but the question I often bring up is, who are the people that surrounded you? Who are the people that helped make you, you? Whether your pastors or your parents or your friends. Some of you might know this, that him and Ken have been best friends since their 20s. You see, often when we look at someone and think, how did you become you? And how can I become more like you? Really what we're asking is, who were the people in your life that formed you? And how can I seek out people to form me in a similar fashion? As some of you know, we're preaching a sermon series through the book of 2 Timothy. And we're at the very beginning. We just covered the intro last week. And this week, we're going to look at the very first paragraph of Paul's letter outside of the intro. And I want to look at it as this great example of the people in Timothy's life that formed him. If you don't know, Timothy was a young pastor in the church. Uh, he, he was someone who had wisdom beyond his years, and he was a good pastor by, from everything we can tell. His church flourished. He didn't have some failure of some kind. He was doing well. And so today I want to look at the people that helped form Timothy to become the man that we see in our scriptures. So first I want to look at the apostle Paul as his primary discipler, his primary mentor, and how Paul was himself steeped in the tradition of God's people. And it's important for us to be formed by those who have been formed by God's people. Often we seek out pastors that are entrepreneurial, uh, highly gifted at what is new and fashionable. And then, well, that stops being new and fashionable pretty quickly. And then they chase the next fad. Whereas what we see with the Apostle Paul here is he says that he is carrying on the faith of his ancestors. He is in a great lineage of faith that he hands on to Timothy, and we need to be as well. Second, I'm really excited about this. I want to look at Lois and Eunice, his grandmother and mother. I think we all know the great impact that mothers and grandmothers, whether biological or adopted, have on the health and growth of the church. 
You know, there is no Augustine uh, outside of Monica. There is no Tim outside of Kimberly, my mother. And mothers today, I wanna give you a word of encouragement that the true seminary of the church that trains the leaders of the next generations is in your very presence. And then third, I wanna look at Paul continuing his ministry in Timothy's life. He didn't have a temporary ministry. He continues to say, fan the flame of what God has done in you. We need people to disciple us who stay in our lives and encourage us towards growth. So if you would turn with me to 2 Timothy verse, chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Paul begins this section of the letter by gushing on his disciple. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. And as, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. If you were here last week, uh, you may remember that I, I communicated that the most likely background of this letter is that Paul's trials in Rome are going very poorly. He is either, uh, well, that's one possibility. He is facing the death penalty. Death is about to approach him. And he asked Timothy, if I'm gonna die, I want you here with me. You're my beloved disciple, the person I poured so much of my life into Everyone in Rome has abandoned me, so please come and be with me in this hour of need. The other option is that he's under house arrest and he's maybe caught a bug or something and he's dying and he's saying, hey, I'm dying, I need you here. Either way, Paul is recognizing that the person he wants beside him is this beloved son that he has poured so much into. I mean, we see his affection for him just dripping off of his pen. I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. This is a man that Paul loves dearly. Someone that he has poured so much of his heart and soul into. But then he has this interesting line that might feel out of place and we could easily skip over it if we read too quickly. And my hope is I've, I've been hopefully teaching you all over the years, don't read too quickly. You should read small amounts of the Bible deeply. So what does he say? I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. That might seem like an odd thing for Paul to say. He's, he's communicating this love letter to Timothy, his, his, his son in the faith. And then he starts talking about his ancestors. I serve God like my ancestors did faithfully. What is he doing there? Well, if you know anything about Paul's ministry, the most consistent attack that was levied against Paul to try to undermine his ministry was that Paul was some, you know, revisionist guy who stood outside of the lineage of the Jewish faith. He is not an inheritor of the teachings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the laws of Moses, the kingdom of David. Rather, he is some zany person who is, you know, a tritheist that's saying, you know, that uh, is completely outside of the great tradition. And so what Paul does consistently is to show through opening up the Holy Scriptures that that is not the case. He 
time and again makes the case that he is an inheritor of the ancient faith. That the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God who became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and dwelt among us. That the laws of Moses were fulfilled by this Messiah. That Jesus is not in some random addition out there tacked onto the faith, but is the very fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. Again and again, Paul has to make the case that he is not a heretic standing outside of the people of God, but he is preaching a gospel of the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. Now, why is that important for Timothy? Because if Paul is a heretic and Timothy is his primary disciple, then Timothy's a heretic. And so what he's trying to encourage him in is a proclamation that no, we are the people that have rightly understood God's word, that all of the Old Testament, all of the law and the prophets point to Jesus Christ as the very savior of the world. Paul is making the case that he stands firmly in line with the tradition of God's people. Now, some of you know, I spend a lot of time reading the reformers, too much time reading them. And one thing that we often think about during the Protestant Reformation is that they just opened up their Bibles and they started arguing about what Greek verbs meant. And they did do that quite a bit. That was what it meant to be a humanist, to go back to the text itself and argue about what the text meant. But when you actually open up the reformers, whether it's Luther or Calvin or Zwingli or Melanchthon or Cramner, what you see time and again is yes, they make a case of you're reading the Bible wrong, Rome, and Augustine's on our side, and Thomas Aquinas is on our side, and St. Athanasius is on our side. They always appealed to not only the Holy Scripture itself, but the historic interpretation of the Scripture itself. And one of the ways that I like to think about how the Reformation is won, how they actually won those debates with Rome, was they were not only able to show this is what the plain meaning of Scripture is, they were also able to say, and God's people have been reading it that way with us, until about the Middle Ages. We are not revisionists. You are revisionists on these matters. At one time in church history, it was actually important to keep the fifth commandment, to honor your father and mother. And as it turns out, that goes back a really long way. We shouldn't be afraid of church history. You know, we shouldn't be worried that, you know, if you study too much church history, you'll just kind of, you know, flutter off into obscurity. No. What you get is you actually see that it's important to hear how God has formed God's people over millennia and how that can actually form us. This is why we like the Book of Common Prayer at our church. This is why we like historic forms of Christian worship because those forms of Christian worship have been forming God's people faithfully for 2,000 years. Why do we need to change them? You know, uh, why? Oh, why would we get rid of the creeds? Why would we stop saying them publicly? This great distillation of what our people believe, whether you're a Protestant or you're an Eastern Orthodox or you're, or, or you're a Roman Catholic. We all agree on this. This is a word that has united God's people for, two, you know, well, not 2,000, about 1,700 years. 
quite a long time. And how they actually came to that conclusion is actually important to study those debates of how Nicaea occurred, because you'll actually find out many uh, modern theologians are qualified as heretics when you read the actual history of Nicaea, etc. We don't need to go down those paths. Here's what I want to encourage you with. You should be formed by people that are formed by the tradition. Because it's simply wise to ask your mother and ask your father for their wisdom. And that doesn't merely happen on the microscopic level of actually talking to your literal father and your literal mother. We actually can consult the history of the church to give us wisdom on issues today. And we actually see that trajectory revealed in the Holy Scriptures. And I actually think that would do a great deal in ecumenical dialogues. If we did that, we would have, we'd be able to recognize we have a lot more in common with Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox than we think. So we should actually have a much more generous and gracious posture towards people that disagree with us. So here's what I want to encourage you by. Pick up a book that's not been written in the past 20 years. Maybe try Calvin or try Luther. I know a lot of you like C.S. Lewis. Do you want to know why you like C.S. Lewis so much? You might, you might not know why you like C.S. Lewis so much. He was a medievalist. He was saturated in the Christian worldview. Or even Tim Keller. Do you know who Tim Keller is formed by? The Puritans. Tim Keller was just a walking, talking Puritan. <laughs> So please, brothers and sisters, I know you've made the first step by coming to an Anglican church. Well done. But continue to be formed by God's word, to, to read deeply. You'll find yourself reading people outside of your tradition and having so much in common with them. Right now, my devotions are in Thomas the Kempis, uh, the imitation of Christ. And every time I open it up, it, it convicts me and leads me into greater devotion and love of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that would be the last qualification I would encourage you. If you read in the tradition, in the history, read books that lead you to love our Lord more deeply. So first we see Timothy was formed by a man like Paul who was formed in the tradition of the people of God and handed that on. Now let's look at the two women that formed Timothy. Our text says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure it dwells in you as well. In a little bit, he's going to talk about uh, the ministry that he's to fan into flames because of the laying on the hands of his laying on of hands towards Timothy. So what we see here is that Lois and Eunice discipled Timothy. The faith of Timothy should actually be laid at the feet of these two women. Paul merely built on the foundation they had already laid. He ordained and commissioned the work they had already started. That's what it means when an apostle lays their hands. That's why if you've ever been to an ordination service, Bishop Ken will lay his hands on a deacon or a priest. It's an ordination for holy orders. But you can't have that ideally, although sadly we have that today, ideally outside of faith outside of a faith that has already been handed on. And it was handed on by these two wonderful women who had formed him in the faith of our Lord. But it's important that we also know that Acts 16.1 reveals to us that they were responsible to hand it on because Timothy's father was an unbelieving Greek. They were handing on the faith, not in some well-structured internal home order, 
but actually in a chaotic home order. They were responsible to hand it on to Timothy because if they didn't, nobody else would. And we see this throughout church history that time and time again, when we look at great people in the faith, men and women, we often trace it back to mothers who cared for them. If you don't know St. Monica, there is no St. Augustine outside of her prayer for him. Her years of devoted prayer while her son was living in decadence and licentiousness until the Holy Spirit caught a hold of him and showed him the gospel of our Lord. I shared this at the very beginning. Many of you know that my greatest theological teacher, and I will say this till the day I die, is not Calvin, but it's St. Kimberly, my mother. My mother, who's not a perfect person, my mother who tried her best, my mother who had kids very young by today's standards, and yet faithfully taught us God's word week in and week out. That's where I've gotten my imagination for, for theology. That's where I've learned what grace is or isn't. That's the person who still to this day, when I'm real irritated about something, she'll just say, put your theology in practice. Are you reformed or not? God's in control, get over it. Like that, she's the one who can say that. Put your theology in practice, Tim. Or if I'm mad at her about how she raised us on something, well, put your theology in practice. God's in control. She's a very strong-willed woman, uh, to say the least. Uh, but here's my prayer for you mothers. Here's my prayer for you that you would first recognize that the call of motherhood is never anything but a call to self-death. We see the great archetype of motherhood in Mary. Mary, this young woman who was called by an angel and told that she's going to bear the very son of God. But you have to remember, this poor young woman was planning her wedding to her betrothed, Joseph. And now she's planning for scandal. Now she's planning on him leaving her. Now she's planning on being rejected by her community and being rejected or, or losing her dreams is a good way of thinking about it. And yet, what is her response? Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Motherhood begins with this great pain of childbirth and it is sustained in the pain of loving someone so dearly that you can't force fix, but you have to patiently walk alongside them. Mothers, I, there is a myth going around that if we just figure out the right set of events and circumstances, maybe motherhood can get a bit simpler. Maybe my response to you today is, I don't think it ever has been, and I'm not sure it ever will be, but the Lord has called you to it if he's given you children. And so the very first word I wanna to communicate to you is he didn't make a mistake in you. He didn't make a mistake in calling you to motherhood. He didn't make a mistake in giving you the children he's given you with all of their temperamental complexities, all of the problems that they form, all of the heartbreak that you have with them, he didn't make a mistake. Just as an angel called Mary to this task, he has called you to the children he has given you. And when our God calls us to something, he sticks with us in it. 
He doesn't call us to go into the desert and then say, bye, I'm gone. Good luck with that. He says that he will carry us by a, a cloud and a pillar, feeding us with his manna that we need every day, but always relying on him. And as I've seen my wife and so many of you struggle, the word I want to remind you of is he has not made a mistake in calling you to this and he hasn't left you in it. So here's what the next piece I want to communicate. The Lord is strong in our weakness. And when you feel weak in your motherhood, especially discipling your children, don't underestimate the power of God amidst it. When I reflect back with my mother on her times, my memory by God's grace has mostly been the sweet moments, but I know they weren't joyful for her all the time. She was young, she was, uh, had visions and dreams that maybe didn't totally come to fruition. And yet the Lord showed us his grace through her pain and suffering and commitment to us. And then finally, the last word I wanna communicate is you are some of the most important theologians in the church. Your children's tacit assumption about who God is and how the world works is largely placed at your feet. I'm actually not diminishing the role of husbands here, actually, by the way. Um, we, we can get to them another week, but I think it's important for us to just focus on moms here because that's what the text is about. So remember that your soul in your formation matters. I do think that, that much of what um, masquerades is um, formative for women today in the church is often beneath most of you. I really think so. I think you're more mature than what a lot of the stuff that's being force fed to you is. So my encouragement to you is pursue God. Make time for prayer. Uh, believe that the Lord can actually work in you to serve your children. We are all called to be theologians, but you have a very specific and special task to be the theologians that love and reveal your children in a very unique way. And so if you need help with that, please come and talk to us. We want to serve you in that. We don't want any of you to feel like you are drowning or you can't keep up or you don't know what to do. Please know your role in our church is so important because the next generation depends upon you to reveal the faith to your children, just like Lois and Eunice did to Timothy. And then finally, I just wanna communicate this to you. I see how hard you're trying. I really do. I really, really do. And it breaks my heart when I hear how discouraged some of you are. Keep going. You're doing a really good job. The Lord sees the work he's doing in you. Continue to fan it into flame. Which brings me to the final piece because I have four minutes. Let's conclude. Look at verse six. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. There is no disciple who has arrived Every person that I've ever met that I admired in the faith was someone who knew that the, that the ember of faith will, or the, the fire of faith will simply diminish into an ember unless there is a daily fanning into flame by the breath of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, we need disciplers in our lives that call us to growth. 
that call us to something greater. They call us not in judgment to say, you're, 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 a, you're a flickering ember and I can tell. No, that doesn't normally help any of us. But to encourage us to say, I see something in you that is diminishing. I see a fire that once was that in your heart is fading and it kills me to see that. Where, oh where, have you dropped the fan? Where is the Spirit calling you to pursue Him yet again, to bring His breath into your life, to fan into flame a love for our Lord Jesus Christ, a vision of the gospel that forms you, that, that, that compels you to love the least and the last and the lost, that, that sees a great need in our world that you are burning to answer. We need those people in our lives to continually encourage us to fan into flame the work God has already done. And so my prayer for you is to first ask, who has that person been in your life historically? Are they still there? And who do you need alongside you to bring forth this encouragement? None of us are finished projects, family. All of us are growing. All of us need help. All of us need the Holy Spirit. Let's each pray that we'd be surrounded by people that help us grow. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that by your grace, you have given us one another. Lord, would we speak truth to each other in love? Lord, would we be firmly rooted in the wisdom of your people that goes back thousands of years that we might see your glory? Lord, we pray for our mothers here or our adoptive mothers here or grandmothers here. Lord, strengthen them for the task that you've given them to love these children that they might grow up to love you. And Lord, we pray for people in our lives to encourage us to fan in the flame the work that you have done in us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray, amen.